ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chicky Fitzgerald. Girlfriends Group, and I am excited to introduce our author today. Uh, we typically have women authors on the Executive Girlfriends Group, but we made uh, an exception for today's author, Jim Akers. Jim, welcome. Thank you, Chickie. Great to be with you, and, and great to probably be one of the first men on your show. I'm honored. <laughs> Well, we do occasionally make exceptions because uh, we are always looking for authors that have a message for executive women, uh, whether they have their own companies or they're leading teams uh, in corporate America. And and your topic just really grabbed me. And and your book has an unusual name. It's called Tape breakers. And for those who are runners, you have likely, uh, well, hopefully experienced at least once in your life breaking through that tape, which says that you're a winner. And the subtitle of your book is How to Maximize Your Impact with People You Love, Teams You Lead, and Causes That Stir Your Heart. Yes, yes. Uh, You know, it's interesting when you talk about the topic or the title of the book, Chickie, because Everything about I was writing was about impact. How do we positively impact folks? And in brainstorming the answer, the book was already written around a race metaphor, and my literary coach said, tape breakers, and just somewhat blurted it out. And that's what we want to feel. We want to feel at the end of any significant race, hands high, right? And right. breaking through the tape and saying, wow, this was a this was a great experience and it turned out the way that I had planned it. So that's that's where it came from. Well, Jim, before we dive into the book itself, I'd really love for you to tell us your story. Um, and the folks who listen to our show just love to hear the back story behind, you know, how you actually came to write the book. But even before that, what what were the foundations that were laid in your life that brought you to this place where getting success right was was really important to you and, and this whole notion of, of being more, doing more, and giving more? Well, it may have started really young because my grandmother, God bless her, believed that I should have been a pastor, but I never got there. <laughs> And then probably to put it in context, I'll tell you a very funny story. Uh, At the age of 29, I became the vice president of sales of a half a billion dollar distribution company, which was very unusual, but had a very forward-thinking private owner. And the phone rang almost the first day I'm sitting at my desk. And it's a very important customer. He says he needs to meet me immediately. And so we make an appointment the next day, and he had – very strong Indian culture, very strong work ethic, very strong accent. We sit down in his office, and he says, Jim, I'll tell you what. I'm going to tell you about me, then you can tell me about you. And he told me his life story for about 45 minutes, and then he looked at me and said, Jim, tell me about you. And I started off while I was born in Spokane, Washington. I went to high school there. I got to about that point, Chicky, and he looked at me, he put his hands up, and he said, enough about you. How about a little bit more about me? <laughs> so, So... I guess when I when you say what is my story, um, you know I would I would tell you that um, starting out uh, college wise, I thought I was uh, early in my life going to be president of the United States. I grew up I guess at an age when kids still dreamed about doing that. Not today. Not today. <laughs> no, definitely not um, today. <laughs> uh, I thought I was going to be an NBA basketball player. Um, not fast enough for any of those types of things, and I ended up graduating college. And had a lot of ambition, and first job took me to Southern California, and I had a very good friend who told me if I really wanted to get ahead, I needed to sell in a commission environment. So that's what I did. Uh, I sold on 100% commission and really understood what it was like to get up in the morning, and, and if you didn't sell anything, you didn't make anything. And that led me in that, that job to being named vice president of sales at the age of 29, By the time I was 35, I was a group vice president for international paper. And um, later in my career, an opportunity came to 
leave, and I did because my greatest goal was around coaching and wanting to positively impact people, have them have an opportunity to see that they had greater potential and that more was expected of them and to surround them with tools and resources to do so. And that's where the idea of the book came from. So so this is your first book, is that correct? It's actually my third book. Ah. Uh, but this one is uh, fresh. The first book I wrote was in 1988 and was called uh, How to Win the Achievement Game. And it was a, I'll tell you an interesting story about it, is that uh, somebody uh, came to me that heard about this new book, Tape Breakers. And I didn't put the two together, but he worked in my business 25 years ago. And he oh, sent wow. me a picture. He sent me a picture of the original book being held to, together with a clip. And he says, Jim, I am still using this today. And long story short, he's the vice president of sales for Delta Dental in Manhattan. And I'm going back to speak to his group, and he just ordered a, a ton of books for his, his team as a result of that original book. So it's a, it's a takeoff of that, but it's an extension. Wow. And, and so where did the race metaphor come from? Well, it really starts, the, the book starts with a chapter on an unlikely source of clarity, and it really dealt with my dad's passing. Um, what ended up happening was my dad's a very simple man, uh, grew up in abject poverty in West Virginia, and uh, at a young age, when he was five, his sister was killed in a car accident. A year later, his older brother died of rheumatic heart failure. And that caused his mom to have a nervous breakdown. And for every practical purpose, he should have checked out, should have quit, should have gone and done whatever. But he didn't. He joined the Air Force. And to make the story even more significant in terms of my dad's race, his wife, after giving birth to my, which is my stepsister now, um, died when my sister was two of a, of a, of a heart defect. So here's my dad with a two-year-old daughter all by himself uh, in the military and left my my sister with his family and later married my mom. And most of this story came together uh, after his death. I didn't know a lot about it, but I started looking into it. So here I find this, this man who was a very hard worker, very principled, very value-oriented, and I looked at the whole story and I said, you know something? Impact is about running the races that you're handed. None of us get to choose the cards. We only get to play the cards that are dealt us. And here I was studying success, looking for it, trying to figure it out, and it had been right in front of me all these years. It was the way my dad finished. So that's where the race metaphor came from. No matter what we're doing, how do you get to the point where you run the races that are most important, strong, regardless of your situation or circumstances? And that was the essence of the race metaphor. Now you start the book off, and, and uh, I'm not a runner, but you know certainly have watched enough. Uh, and and with the the Olympics coming up this uh, this summer, you know we we all have heard that uh, on your mark, get set, go. And in fact, uh, the other day yes. I was at my son's tennis match, and it was held at a school that was having a track meet, and it was a little distracting because the gun kept going off like right in the middle of his tennis match, which was a little bit bizarre. But but that on your mark and, and getting prepared, uh, you call it identifying the race. Um, talk to us about, uh, you know, what is involved in it in identifying the race? I think the most important thing that I see when I work with clients and work with folks is you ask them this question, what and who is most important to you, right? Yes. And when you start putting those things in order, things start to change. And it really came to light for me. I had a great mentor and I was looking at a very difficult decision about a career and I talk about it a little bit in the book, and I get a few minutes with Larry, and Larry had the unbelievable ability to make the complex simple. I think a little bit like you do. I've listened to some of your interviews. You do a wonderful job with that. Larry finally listens to everything I'm talking about, and he says, Jim, if you put your family first, 
you're never going to be disappointed. Mm. So putting that together with, you know, what I learned from watching my dad and what Larry was telling me is that you've got to get your roles in order. And do you know what those roles are? And I use a picture, Chicky, of a wheel. Imagine a wheel with spokes and in the center, you know, is hollow. Whatever we put in the center influences everything. Mm. So if you put your faith in there, that's going to influence everything. If you put your family in there, that influences everything. If you put your career in there, you're going to, you're going to influence everything. And I'm sure you've been around folks, and I'm sure many of your listeners have as well. When you put the wrong thing in there, things don't work. For right. example, I've seen folks business-wise, everything was about their career. And they poured everything into it, and they end up losing their family, losing the significant relationships in their lives. And they say, why did I do that? So the race really is about first things first, getting those roles and understanding first which roles are most important to you. And then are you going to put them in priority and, and, and invest your time, money, resources into fulfilling the first things first? Now, you, you start the book uh, sharing a story about an unlikely source of clarity, and this is back to talking about the impact of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that story about my dad. As I, I weave that story together, I just uncovered that my dad's life was just filmed with so much overwhelming discouragement, heartbreaking events and circumstances I really discovered, you know, an everyday hero in his story. And I was amazed that he stayed in the race, as I said, and most of the people would have thrown in towels. So the clarity that I gained was that great lives are defined by the impact they have. Mm. It's about using your gifts, your talents, your resources to positively change, inspire, and support the people who are in your life today, regardless of the circumstances. And that's, that's really what that clarity is. It's all around us. And sometimes we we miss that. We think there's something more important or somebody else has something that we should have or we live it through the eyes of our parents or our boss or whoever versus understanding what that is for ourselves. Right, and you refer to that also in the story about looking for the starting line in all the wrong places and, and the traps that we fall into. Tell us about that. You know, the trap is an interesting uh part of the research because there's a, a tremendous researcher out of Cornell University. Her name is Dr. Peggy Drexler, and she was studying success, Chicky. What she found is that most people, the most common definition is people will associate the word happiness with success. But happiness is so much based on our circumstances. It comes and goes. For example, if you won the lottery today, you'd be happy, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> But either you or I, even if we win it, doesn't necessarily mean that we're successful. It's a circumstance that leads to that. So through the years, I kept wrestling with this idea of, you know, what is success and spent 20, 30 years, I think, pursuing it and researching it. So I came up with a universal definition that I usually toss out when I'm speaking or as we're doing this interview. And it says success is the identification of roles, values, and goals and living your personal and professional life in accordance with those roles, values, and goals. And then you challenge folks and say, I'll venture a guess it fits. And I've never had anyone come back to me and say, you know, Jim, it does fit. It applies to everyone, regardless of, you know, your your gender, your age, your lot in life, anything you look at, yep, it can apply. And that's that's the trap, is not to fall into the trap of going after something, whether it be money, career, whatever, that can be taken away from you. If it can be taken away, it can't be success. If it can be lost, it can't be success. Wow, that's an interesting perspective. And and you talk about finding the starting line and, and choosing well. And and we all make our choices based based on some of those circumstances that we've been in. And I, I <laughs> yeah, was writing too. I was um doing some research for the book that I'm writing and, and yesterday I was posting some questions to some colleagues back from American Airlines back uh, actually in the 80s. I'm, I was trying to pinpoint some dates, and I needed some help. And I was asking about this woman who had been promoted uh, to the manager of the training department in, in the department that I had been working in. 
And I, I had to end up explaining to them that the reason why I was looking for that was because that I was competing with her for mm-hmm. that job. I, I wanted right. that job. And I was so disappointed mm-hmm. when I didn't get the job. But the job I got was to head up uh, a new business development team and ended up acquiring my first company for $5 million with somebody else's money, which is really the best way to do acquisition. That's a good way to do it. Yep. And, yep. Um, and, and that it really put me on this trajectory to where I am today. And, you know, I, I would love to say that I chose that path, but that path actually came out of what I perceived to be failure of not getting this job that I thought that I wanted. Oh, I can appreciate that. God has a funny way of doing that to us, <laughs> yes. uh, putting us putting us on particular courses. And I think that um, one of the best ways I think when we look at it is Soren Kierkegaard was a famous Danish theologian, and, and uh, he said life can only be understood backwards, but we must live it forwards. Mm-hmm. And you think about that for a moment. It gets back to this idea of choice. So. One of the things I like to describe for folks is that if if we were completing an interim race in our life, or maybe it's the very last race, and you enter the stadium, and we've all seen that in the, in the Olympics you mentioned, right? You know, the crowd's there, and you enter the stadium. You know, who's going to be in the stands? You know, are there going to be people cheering you on? Are there going to be people that you've impacted over the course of your your time and how they were impacted is going to determine who's in the stands and what it's going to feel like when we cross that finish line. So thinking back to that comment around roles, if we have those roles right, we'll have the right people in the stands, you know, cheering us on and we can say, yeah, that was a job well done. I did what was expected of me. You know, maybe I didn't get the job I wanted, but guess, look at this. I got this startup and I bought a company with somebody else's money. Congratulations. That's a, that is the best way to do it. Um, but I think that that's where it all starts. Who's going to be in the stands? And if you, if the races you choose to run don't positively impact people, the stands are going to be empty. Right. Right. And you also talk about being rich, and and not not just being rich as in success and you know amassing money and things, but really being rich toward what counts. And and you you pose an interesting question here or, or a statement that rich actually starts with a question. What is that question? Well, that question is really centers around the idea going back to the role piece is I've got to be rich towards the people that matter most in my life. And I start that chapter in a very unusual way because I didn't expect it. I went to a conference, Chickie, and you've probably done this, right? You walk into a room and you didn't go with anyone. You don't know anyone, right? And you have this opening dinner and you walk in and you go, where am I going to sit? And I was walking through this room and I approached this table and Right next to this empty chair is a smile and a hello that came out in a southern accent, and I was hooked. And long story short of that is that it was a young couple in their 20s, and unbeknownst to me, Allie had just finished her last treatment for a double mastectomy and had just tremendously difficult health challenges. And as I sat next to her and her husband, Josh, it was very evident you have to be rich towards the people and the outcomes that are really going to matter. And that ends up being the uh, the most important question. Uh, what is going to end up being the thing that fills the stands? Who are those people and what are you going to do around doing that? And you mentioned on the success side of that, there was a book written. Have you ever seen the book, The Number? Ever heard of that? No. It was written by a guy by the name of Lee Eisenberg, and he was curious about how much money people thought they needed to retire and be financially secure. And after doing a ton of research, he ultimately included that no matter how much money you had, if you didn't have a meaning plan for your life, you were going to fail. So the richness, that question is, what are you going to be rich towards? Those are the people that you truly want to have impact on over the course of your life. Mm. 
So you then shift gears to the the get set part of part of the race. So you you've, mm-hmm. you've found the the right race to run. Uh, you know you've you've made sure that you uh, know what it is that you're trying to do. But but then you're actually getting prepared, and you start this section. I I, I find this really interesting because you you talk about possibilities here mm-hmm. and and the question here is how big is your box and you know <laughs> using the race metaphor trying to figure out what the box part of this means so why don't you share that with our listeners well the box in my mind is your po- what i call possibility box and as a kid that's pretty big for all of us isn't it we kind of pour all of our dreams in there and we look in there over time and then something happens as life somewhat unfolds. The, the dreams kind of go away. That possibility box starts shrinking. So the question there about the box is how big is it? What are you pouring in in terms of dreams? I firmly believe that God places dreams on our hearts. It's up to us to act on them. But sometimes it's hard. So we act on something. You know this from your business experience. You take action. You get a result. And depending on how good or bad that result is, it changes your belief structure. It changes what you think is possible. And ultimately, for most of us, it shrinks that possibility box. We stop, We start doing less versus thinking that we should do more. And so the whole idea of that chapter is to get someone to think about filling up that possibility box again, dreaming and thinking about the things that uh, really are important and, and why they should why they should pursue those things. You know, one of the best examples I had as I was doing the research, I came across a woman by the name of Harriet Thompson, Chickie. Ran her first marathon when she was 76. 76, you know? And this last year she ran, again, her 16th marathon at the age of 92. Do you know what her purpose was? She had been a cancer survivor lost her husband to cancer, saw friends suffering with cancer. So every Mm. year she runs, she runs for the benefit of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and doing it at 92. Now, that's a a big possibility, right? I'm not sure I'm putting that in my box at 76. I don't know about you because I, too, am not a runner. So, uh, But what an opportunity to have impact and thinking about that at 76. Most people at 76 probably are not thinking about hey, I think I'm going to run my first marathon. Oh, really? And, you know, as I look at the next chapter of the book, which is Don't Sit Out and Developing the Courage to Run, I mean, I think mm-hmm. about it at my age, if I even had to think about it, I'd be the one sitting out. And, uh, you know, the, the courage for that particular task just isn't, you know, I mean, I don't think it's in me. Now, you know, I can set out and build a new technology company, and other people might say, well, oh, I could never do that. So how do we right. develop that courage to run the particular race that that we have to run? I think the most important thing is when I work with folks, I ask them to put take three circles, and in one circle, put down everything that are your skills, all your assets. So you mentioned, you know, technology and you know technology and you know business and you know radio broadcasting. These are all skills that you have and your listeners have a whole collection of things that they probably haven't even thought about. Um, they're also attributes of things like maybe they're very strategic, uh, maybe they're very service-oriented, but those are all skills that they have. They're all assets that they have. In another circle, Write down what you're passionate about. Who do you want to impact? What do you want to impact? And then I think the third circle is what are those places where you can put those things to work? You know, so I'll give you an example. It's been a number of years ago. My mother-in-law passed away 30 years ago. At that time, my wife was working and had a blossoming career, but it really affected her, the loss of her mom. And so... She left her professional career and went to work for the Make-A-Wish Foundation for a number of years. So she took all the skills that she had, she took her passions, and she directed them towards something else that I thought was quite amazing at that time. And I think all of us, that's where you find that courage. You don't recognize sometimes all the skills you have. Right. 
you don't always recognize some of the passions. You, other people see it, and, and then where can I direct that? And I think that's where you get that because you see that you really are equipped. But we all have these fears. I don't know. What were you afraid of as a kid? I was afraid of the dark, sleepover, bridges. I can name a number of things. Well, I don't know that I was afraid of anything as a kid. What I'm afraid of now is that I won't ever find my Jim Akers because the – and let me explain that. Um, I like this. Where is this going, (laughs) Jane? Well, I think one of the things that makes us want to sit out um, and, and, you know, thinking about the race metaphor is is when you come up to the starting line and you see the guy or the girl next to you who clearly has been practicing for the race, has been, you know, training and, and you know, whether it's bulking up or whatever, whatever it is that they do and that they're more equipped. And, and I think we tend not to take stock of what we have, but we look at what we don't have. And in my business right now, I have got everything I need, except for the young Jim Akers, who you know, is my sales guy, right? I don't have a sales guy. I need, I need the hungry young Jim who comes in and is told that you know, he can do anything. Right, and just go out and, and make these sales calls, and, and you can do it. And and so the thing that keeps me, uh, you know, just really on the fence and not running the way that I could be running, is not having all of those things that that I need to get my business off the ground. And you know, the the next chapter, you you talk about practice and and getting personally ready. For the race, but you know, in business, we we don't run the race alone. You know, we we do have to have a team. And you know, as I look back at, at the subtitle of your book, you talk about maximizing your impact, and and you start with the people you love, the teams you lead, and and the causes that stir your heart. And as you and I had talked about, uh, you know, when we first met. Um, my whole business is about the causes that stir my heart. And mm-hmm. we give, mm-hmm. as a company, uh, our model is to give back 10% of our revenues to the charity of choice of our client uh, for, for the particular revenue stream that we have from, from our technology. And Wonderful. I so want to get to that, that finish and, and the finishing strong and the breaking the tape and standing on the podium, which you de- uh, describe in, in part four of your book. Um, but you know there there's still some some gaps there and and you talk in the rest of this uh second part of the book of getting set and getting prepared to run about the possibilities don't set out which we just talked about practice which you know yes of course we know that you you have to practice and you have to train and you have to do the things that are going to make you successful. And then right, you also right. talk about coaching as a secret mm-hmm. to great preparation. So I know I've just thrown a lot at you, but but um, <laughs> but you know it, it just was coming out of out of my heart that yeah I want to I want to break that tape at the end and and I am prepared to run. I know the race I'm supposed to be running. I know the gifts that I have. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. you know, how do you get to that place where you're ready to run your personal race that's going to have that impact? Well, you said something really very key. You know, standing up at a starting line and looking over and saying, I think the person next to me is better equipped for this race than I am, is something that defeats a lot of us. Yes. And each of us have this great purpose we were created for. Each of us have a unique set of skills. I can say no one has your place in the world to positively have this impact other than you. You're uniquely equipped to do that. And so the idea when I look at practice and coaching is a definition of a coach in my mind, Chicky, is somebody that takes you to places you couldn't go on your own. And it's hard sometimes for us to say that we're not um, prepared or even to ask for help. I know in business, I wish when I was starting out, I had as teachable a spirit as I do today. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a better learner today, and I'm hearing the same in you today than we probably were, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so if you have a teachable spirit, a coach can take you in great place. And I'll tell you a funny story. We had to change technology, and you're a technology person, so I, I might have been able to use your help. But we walk, <laughs> into the, we walk into the Apple store, my wife and I, and we've got to replace one of our computers. 
And I do what every man probably does. Christy says, Jim, what are we going to do? I says, well, follow me. Well, I go over what everyone does in the Apple store. I start pecking on all the keys and stuff. She goes, do you know what you're doing? I said, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and I see, you know, the guys and gals with the nice Apple shirts. I see one that's not um, occupied, and I walk over. And long story short, Nick is a trainer. He's not even one of their salespeople. And by going to the beginner lane, so to speak, right, asking the questions that were, in my mind, embarrassing to ask. I made a bunch of progress, made some good decisions that I wouldn't have made if I wouldn't have had a coach by my side. And I think that, too, today in business, and I see it now stepping away from my business, I had 1,200 people, and my business was a billion dollars when I left international paper. I have people calling me today saying, Jim, I haven't had somebody have a a one-to-one coaching conversation with me since you left. Mm. That breaks my heart, Chicky. Breaks yeah. my heart because people do want help. And so, if we can put ourselves in a position where effort, practice, and surround ourselves with a coach, that coach can help us go places we couldn't. So, even when you ta- you're writing a book, you know, and when I wrote this book, I went out and got a literary coach. Right. Help me do this. I'm I'm an okay writer, and it's funny you mentioned the the chapter on practice, when I wrote the chapter on practice and people read it, they said, Jim, this is one of the best. Since the first chapter, this is the best. And my writing got better. What ended up happening, Chicky, is I went back and rewrote chapters two through seven after that. Mm. Simply that idea. I had a coach. I was practicing every day. And it was that perfect example of how do you how do you do that? I was listening to one of your shows recently and you I uh, had a young intern, right, a high school girl that yes. you worked with, right? And I heard in you doing the same thing. You were coaching. <laughs> all along the way, you were coaching and left all these little nuggets with her. Who knows what she does with them, but you planted some beautiful seeds with her. Right. Right. And, you know, it's so funny because I, if you listen to many of my shows, you would discover this because I'm pretty transparent about uh, my both my talents and my flaws is that I consider myself a really good mentor. Uh, I consider myself a horrible manager. And, <laughs> and, you know, so when you look at what you want to do in life and, and using your talents, I, I have a grid that I use in my consulting of love, hate, do well, do badly. And if you draw that on a grid with love and hate across the top and do well mm-hmm. and do badly down the left, you and like then that. you catalog all the things that need to be done. And as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. it's pretty much everything, right? Everything, so if I take right. if I take a pack of sticky notes and I write on them all of the tasks that need to be done and then I lay them out on that grid, it it pretty much tells you as an entrepreneur who mm-hmm. you need to hire first because all the things that right. you do well that you hate um, actually drain the life out of you, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, or that's the place where you should manage other people or manage an outsourced relationship. Um, but, you know, when I take a look at actually managing people, the, the thing I like is, is the one-on-one conversation, right, that mm-hmm. I don't like the day-to-day detail. And I think once you know that about yourself, you know, then you really are ready to run your race. And, and so as, as we move into part three of your book, which is the go, right, the – the gun yes. goes off. You know, no more thinking about the race, no more training for the race, no more even talking to your coach because it's too late, <laughs> right? Yep. So then what you've got to do is, you know, you're at that point you're committed and you've got to stay in your you're lane. All in. So what does that look like in life? What is staying in your lane? What does that metaphor translate into in our lives? Well, I think, I start off with a story. Um, the 1986 winner of the Indianapolis 500 was a gentleman by, a, by the name of Tom Sneva, and he was a family friend. And Tom was in one of the most horrific crashes in Indianapolis history. And he, as he tells a story, open-wheel car racing, which I'm not that familiar with, but having Tom describe it is what happened was late in the race, um, a driver who he was familiar with dropped out of his lane and Tom's tire went over the back of his, 
flipped the car, broke it in two, and he goes spinning down the straightaway of Indy. And it dawned on me, and I had a conversation with Tom recently. I said, what did you learn from that? And he said something I think that is powerful to the question you're asking is that all of us were created to be in a lane. And if we stay in that lane, there's no stop signs. It's all straight ahead. It was designed for you. It reflects your skills, your abilities, and not looking out around you to distract you and staying on task. And I'm sure you've seen in business, too, the teams that seemed to do the best, always did the best, were the ones that had just the clarity of focus of what they were doing. Right? They didn't need 10 great ideas. They needed one or two ideas and execute them. Even mm-hmm. if the idea wasn't the best idea, they executed better. So the idea of staying in your lane is picking the few things that you really want to do and sticking with those things and developing the expertise, surrounding yourself with the coaches and practicing in the pursuit of that and not worrying about what everyone else was called to do. Right. Right, and, and then th- the next chapter is about accountability, and, and you may have been leading into this, but but uh, this is what I was talking about earlier, that you know, never run alone. Don't try to do everything mm-hmm. on your own because uh, other people were given talents and and can also help hold you to what you say you're going to do, you know, which is the very core of accountability. Oh, so, yes. so why is never running alone uh, the metaphor that you use about running the race? Well, I get ties right in, as you said, the accountability. You know, if you took accountability, you made it really simple. It's accountability is surrounding ourselves with people that help us not to do dumb stuff. <laughs> You know, my mom was full of wisdom. She said, if you're out after midnight, you're out up to nothing but no good. Well, I didn't probably think that when I was younger, but I certainly know that's true today, right? Yes. So I think the thing is, is you have to put people alongside of you that um, don't value independence, so to speak, over teamwork. You know, All of us like to be independent. We like to make decisions on our own, and it gives rise to pride. And as soon as pride comes in, you know, we don't listen very well. We don't take advice very well. And and probably a lot of your listeners, either they've either worked for somebody like that or they may be working for somebody like that today. And that is a really difficult place to do well. And there's some significant benefits of being accountable. You, you know, you're going to improve your decision-making because you have somebody looking at things. It sharpens your focus. If you say, for example, Chicky, you were going to hire a salesperson, and that was you know, one of the top three most important things for you to do in the next 90 days, somebody coming alongside you, they're probably going to ask you every time, right, how's that going? What can I do to help you along the way? Right. Uh, raises right. raises engagement and performance and and finally it promotes new races because if a race comes to an end and all of us go through seasons of lives and those types of things how do you start the next race and having somebody alongside is invaluable right right absolutely and and you know the next chapter uh you know as we're coming to a, a the close of the book is is about hitting the wall and what you know what mm-hmm. i described in my own business is currently I've been running this particular race with the new technology that I've built and uh, have had a lot of people around me, and I've got great people holding me accountable. I've got an amazing uh, board. Um, but right now, and, and uh, again, in the spirit of transparency, I, I am hitting the wall in my own business, and, and I do know what it will take to get to the finish line. Um, and, and so I'm currently taking stock of that. And as I mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, I mean one one of the key things is I am just praying that God brings my path across the path of somebody who can solve my sales problem. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I I am uh, a big picture thinker. I am not the day to day closer of deals. Right. And, and right. Because of that, I can't get the business to the next level. And mm-hmm. and I you know I think. So many of us hit that wall, and, and, and we don't know where to go from there. And, and I'm going to tie in, uh, actually, the next chapter, because the next chapter is about hazards. And, and you say don't miss the warning signs, and I know I'm, I'm kind of 
honing our conversation on entrepreneurial business, but this can be hazards in your marriage, in your family life, in, in mm-hmm. many different places in your life. And and then actually I, I'm also going to uh, ask you to, to tie in the last part of this section, which is about balance, because um, so many of us uh, do get out of balance because we are devoting all of our time and we're putting the business in the center of the wheel back to your earlier metaphor mm-hmm. and we're saying well i'm doing it for my family right in the family right. sitting right. back saying yeah right <laughs> <laughs> you missed uh-huh. you missed the softball game this week you didn't get to the tennis match you know saturday morning when we're all going out to dinner or out for breakfast you know you're busy finishing a project for a client uh, when was it you were going to fit us in? So, right. uh, again, I, I've thrown a lot, but I, I think that they all have something to do with one another. So, so let, let's uh, let's talk about that for a few minutes. Well, let me give you one quick thing about picking those races again. Uh, a very good friend of mine is a gentleman by the name of Kamu Salani, who will retired a couple of years ago, all time won more Olympic medals as a hockey player and Stanley Cup winner. And when he won the Stanley Cup, a couple months after that, I remember asking Tamu, I said, did, did it feel the way you thought it would be? And he goes, it didn't. I said, what do you mean? He said, I thought this was going to be the culmination of everything and that this was going to be, bring me the greatest amount of joy. And he says, Jim, it was just a milestone. You know, there's got to be something after that. So, I think the point that, again, getting those things in order and pushing forward is, but I think there's there's five things I talk about that are the warning signs. Fatigue is one of them, you know, when you find yourself very tired a lot. Uh, frustration, you know, when you're not making the progress is, a, is another warning sign that you're not enjoying that process. Uh, failure, understanding that, hey, you're 90% of the way there. It's the last 10% that get the job done, and it starts looking like, hey, maybe I'm not going to be able to uh, get there. And then the final one is uh, the final two are fear and you, that that's present and the lack of fun. So I think those are hazards that uh, I see people uh, demonstrate consistently, and I think that they're the antidote to those is making sure you're surrounded with people and resources that encourage you. Uh, I, I, just, I just can't tell you how many times, Chicky, I'm sure you've had the same, how many th- times that you were involved in a project, launching something, and it just didn't seem like it was all going to come together. You knew how to get there, but all those things kind of played in. You were tired, uh, you know, some fear, some of your team, nobody was having fun. And you have to figure out how to bring that fun back in, how to bring the encouragement back into it. And sometimes you just have to step away from the race and make sure. I, I know some folks, they don't think that vacation is important or renewal is important, but it really is. You've got to step away right. sometimes. And, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, I, I actually have done that the last 30 days of, of uh, doing what I call a pause, right, of, mm-hmm. of pausing the business and taking stock and and working on the business rather than in the business. And, you know, it's only in doing that and, and you know, so many of the things that we've talked about with, with the race metaphor and you know, making sure that it's the right race. And I do know that. I know that God has me exactly where I'm supposed to be, right? And I know that that I was prepared, right? And Mm -hmm. and so I have been running the race and and am having some of those signs of fatigue. And and so, uh, you know, finding that balance again so that I can finish strong is, is, you know, exactly what I know that I should be doing. So, Part four, and, and the last part of the book, is about finishing the race and breaking that tape and having, you know, the hands shooting up in the air. And even though everything within you wants to collapse, mm-hmm. you know, going and standing on that podium and, and being handed the, the trophy or the ribbon or, uh, you know, whatever the recognition is. And, and it in, in my life and, and this book that I'm in the midst of writing describes that you know, ultimate day of, of um, you know, standing on that podium as, as standing at NASDAQ and, and, and having the public offering and having all of the people in the stands 
mm-hmm. who made it happen there to support me, right? Right. And and I can I can see it as if it's real, right? And and Absolutely. you know I've written about it in in uh, you know fairly great detail in my book. And and so what is it uh, about finishing strong and breaking the tape that carries forward in all areas of our life, not just in the business sense and and what I just described of the success of a company and and taking the company public. Well, I think we never really figure out or embrace the importance of creating impact unless we fully understand the significance of the fact that our race ends. And so it gets back to it saying you've you got to start at the end and look backwards. And when that race ends, the last chapter has three compelling stories that kind of put the marathon into perspective. The question everyone asks themselves, I think, as I've researched this and gone through my business career, is, is this race even going to matter? And I have come to realize, Chicky, that we were created for, for impact. And there's no particular season of life designated to pursue it. We don't miss the opportunity for impact because of our age or circumstance or condition. We miss it simply because we fail to choose it. Right. And and so I think that one of the most important things that that I've come to realize is that those roles and and keeping them in order. You know, if somebody asks you what your five most important roles were and are, and can you define those and list those out? Is important. I'll give you a quick example. Last night, my son, who is a recent uh, grad, law graduate, passed the bar, works for a small real estate investment company, and he's due to come see us on Saturday with his girlfriend, whom we know a little bit, but we don't know a lot, but he's bringing her, right? <laughs> so he calls me last night and says, hey, Dad, we've, we're working on this huge deal. I think I may have to cancel. And so, you know, a question we, we talked about? Matthew, uh-huh. tell me, what, what are your roles? What order are they in? And he goes, ah, Dad, I got it. I said, you'll know, prayerfully you'll know, if this is something that you talked about balance is blending. I said, there's times in our careers, right, where your work is going to take 80%, 90%. It's all of you. It's just the way it is. It's Don't look for balance because there is no balance then. It's blending. But you've got right. to bring it back into that blend later. So that's just a perfect example that we go through these things. Lives are busy. If you have listeners, and we all know this, if you have you have two high school age kids, right, at home right now. I do. I do. What a, what a busy time of life, right? You've got a busy career. Your husband's got a busy career. I think those are the busiest times of life. And there's some times where everything is is invested in one specific aspect. But if we always come back and say, "Yep, these are the this is the order." I'm catching myself now, and I'm going to rebalance myself and blend those things back in. It is a gut check that keeps people, I think, moving positively forward with the people that intersect their lives every day. Right, right. So, so Jim, we've we've covered so much ground here. I, I want to ask you one last question, and and. The the people who are able to run with greater impact than those that don't, what what is it that differentiates those people? Clarity of purpose. Two questions that I always ask folks when I, I see them. They're first able to ask, answer the question, who do I want to most be remembered by? And the second question that they can always answer with clarity is, what do I want to be remembered for? And consistently, I see folks that I have interviewed, talked with, highly accomplished people, people that work for me, people I work for, they always were able to provide an answer to those two things. And when you know who you want to be remembered by and what you want to be remembered for, it drives a sense of urgency, uh, gives rise to energy, um, you know, if you really love somebody, think about it. I've been married uh, 33 years, and there's nothing I wouldn't do for Christy. And I know that if push came to shove and something happened, I know where she fits in those those roles. I would find the energy, the courage, the strength to do what was required in those moments. Love and having those roles in order do those things for us. Mm-hmm. And I see that with people. Um and I've seen, and I see the opposite because the opposite of that is, 
I've seen people get to the end of the career, and I've gone through this with some of my uh, friends that I worked with. They've re- they really struggled when they stepped away from from work because everything was about their job, everything was about their career, and then it didn't right. turn out the way they wanted it to. Right. And that's a struggle. Jim, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. And uh, I know you have uh, a very interesting business called ImpactfulNotes.com. Uh, so is, is that the best place for them to find you? The best, thank you for asking that question, Chicky. The best place to find me is at jimdacres.com. And it will lead into all of these aspects and the, and the book. And, and I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you about it. It actually goes live on Amazon March 1st. So your listeners are on the front end of a really exciting launch. It's uh, the feedback, the early editorial feedback is far exceeded our expectations. And so I'm really excited for that and I'm excited to be able to share that opportunity. And oh, this how exciting. I, 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 I missed that nuance that the book wasn't even out yet. We talked about that briefly before we got on the air. Uh, how very exciting. So I can't wait to hear the story of how well your book does. I, I know that Carrie has, uh, has gotten incredible passion for helping authors and uh and mm-hmm. his, uh, he he's the one who introduced us and I'm so grateful for that. Uh Jim, thank you so much for taking your time and again, you can reach Jim at jimdacres.com. The book is Tape Breakers: Maximize Your Impact with People You Love, Teams You Lead, and Causes That Stir Your Heart and you can pre-order it on Amazon. Uh, I did uh, take a look at that this morning. And uh, for those of you who would like to know more about the Executive Girlfriends Group, uh, our website is live. You can go ahead and join the Executive Girlfriends Group uh, at that website. And then we also have a private Facebook group that we would love to have you join. So thank all of our listeners uh, this morning. And for those who will listen out into the future uh, to our podcast, have a great day and Go out there and seek those causes that are going to stir your heart because it will change your life. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald.